little bit to cover with it, and I'm just going to go straight through several chapters of the Bible and explain it, so trust me, you'll want to follow along, but let's pray. Are you ready in there? Got everything good to go? We're going to begin covering, this is going to be part five, and at the end of it, I'm going to get to Daniel's 70 weeks, but I'm going to deal with Daniel's 69 weeks. Just, I'm just going to touch on it. And uh, we'll pick it up next week in that. We'll deal with the 70 weeks of Daniel next week in, in depth and some more things to it as well that will complement. Because I'm dealing really with Revelation chapter 4. So I'm dealing with the rapture, and some people don't like that word for whatever reason. It's a good translation of the word, Greek word herpazo, but for those that are easily offended about it, we'll just call it the catching away. Oh, how about that? So the catching away of the remnant bride... And we're dealing with that because Revelation chapter 4 is what that's dealing with. You'll notice up until this point in Revelation, pretty much everything has to do with the church, doesn't it? But then at Revelation 4, the Lord says, come up here. And then from that point, you do not see one time that the church is mentioned. And the emphasis goes right back on the nation of Israel and that's kind of what we're going to deal with tonight. We're going to understand some things about the Word of God and how to properly interpret some um, aspects of it regarding Israel versus the church, etc. All right, so we need to pray over the Word. And how many knows the Holy Spirit? He helps us so much to understand the Word of God. I love um, the Holy Spirit so much. I love God's Word. And so, Lord, we just thank you tonight for the Word of God. We thank you so much for giving us your Word. Your Word is precious. Uh, we, we just love your Word. And Lord, as we get into the word of the Lord tonight, we ask you by the Holy Spirit, Lord, to help every one of us, even right now, the Holy Spirit to move upon everyone that's going to be listening to this or watching this, that the Holy Spirit will help us move upon our hearts and minds to be good, fertile soil. The Holy Spirit will help us, Father, in our minds to not be distracted, but to get kind of locked in and focused on the word of God and what is being taught, that we're, we're not distracted by anything. I ask you by the Holy Spirit, Lord, I ask you to anoint our eyes and our ears, that we have eyes and ears of the Spirit, and we are good, fertile soil for the Word of God. And Lord, I ask you to speak through me as the parable of the seeds in the sower. Speak through me, Lord, your living seeds of truth tonight that will go out into that good soil of people's lives, their hearts, their minds, and their families, and, and just land in that good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, and it will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit, fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, we ask you that your word tonight will be like a bright light that shines out and dispels all the darkness and lies and deception of the enemy, even pet doctrines and traditions of men and things that are just not God. Let your word go out as a bright light that's going to dispel that because when the lights come on, all the cockroaches start fleeing, don't they? Lord, let your word go like a bright light and dispel the enemy and bring revelation, bring truth. Let there be a washing of the water of the word that purifies us. And Lord, help us to get everything out of this tonight that needs to be received and understood. Help us, Lord, to understand it. Maybe what in our natural mind, because the Bible says the Lord grants wisdom to them that ask liberally without finding fault. Lord, where maybe we couldn't understand it before, but we ask you by the Holy Spirit, give us wisdom, Lord. Give us eyes that can see, ears that can hear, 
And Lord, understanding. Give us understanding of your word. We thank you for it. And Lord, we take authority over the enemy. Jesus said the, the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So Lord, we submit this unto you. We resist the devil. We bind up anything of the enemy right now in the name of Jesus that would try to hinder this word in any way from being preached and getting where it's supposed to get, accomplishing what it's supposed to accomplish. We bind you. We command you to back off right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, let your angels just clear that away. Let your word get where it needs to get. Let your Holy Spirit just breathe upon the word. It's going to go out among the nations of the earth. And it's going to get where it's supposed to accomplish what it's supposed to. And we stand on the promise. The word of God will not return void. It will go forth and accomplish that what it's sent forth to do. So, Lord, we stand on that in faith. And we thank you for it. And we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Now, with faith and expectation, let's dive into the word of the Lord tonight. So, I had to make this, this image here to teach you guys. So, the book of Daniel... For a baby Christian to just pick it up and open it and start reading it, it would be very difficult to understand. Same thing in many aspects of the book of Revelation. So I'm going to do my best to explain this tonight. So in this passage here, this deals with an image of that Daniel saw in a dream. Will you guys remember this where that, you know, Daniel had to interpret it. But anyway, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and it had to do with the head of gold, the arms of silver the loins of brass, the legs, and down into the toes of iron. The toes were mixed to iron and clay. Well, that parallels with the other, Daniel 7 and 8, with the various beasts. And the beasts here are just animals. So you have the lion with the eagle's wings. The lion is kind of the king of the beast of the field. The eagle is kind of the king of the fowl there. And it has to do with that head of gold Babylon. And we'll get into it in a moment. I'm going quick because it's not something we need to dwell on too much right now but and then he saw from babylon down to the next kingdom which would be the medes and persians they basically were just a massive huge amount of people their military was kind of clumsy um, but yet they were so large that they just overtook that's why you see the bear and it was raised up on one side because the persians became greater than the medes it had three ribs representing three nations Babylon, Egypt, and Lydia. But, and also, Daniel saw, not only was it revealed to him as a bear, but it was re revealed to him as a ram. And he saw that the horns, there were two horns, one was raised up higher than the other. Again, the Persians. And you guys remember this, actually, because everyone in here knows enough of the Bible to remember that ne when Nebuchadnezzar came and the children of Israel were in Babylon, you remember the stories of that, right? With Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel and the lions, then all that happened in Babylon. And then later, the Medes and the Persians came, and they were the big prevailing um, enemy of that time to Israel, if you will. Um, but the, the mighty nation of that time was the Medes and Persians together. And you guys remember this in the Bible because the story of Esther. Remember that? She was in Persia. And then it went from that into Greece. The next world superpower became Greece. And Alexander the Great, it was revealed as a leopard with wings. What could be faster than a leopard with wings? <laughs> and so it was a swift thing. He was also revealed in another dream as the shaggy he-goat. And this um, goat would go and would ram the others. And um, it was a swift thing, which I'll talk about. 
And then after Greece, and that was the story, and you guys are familiar with this in River of Life, during Greece was the story of Hanukkah, the Maccabees. And then after that, you have Rome come into power, and Rome was in a scary beast that was kind of unknown to us, so to speak. So it might have been something that maybe looked to him more like some kind of a dinosaur or something, but it was a very powerful, scary beast that he saw emerge, and that was Rome. And that's the legs of iron. And then it's interesting because I'll, I'll get into all this as we go. I'm just trying to show you this real quick. Daniel saw from his day, he saw all the way until Jesus comes back to reign in Israel but Daniel did not see the 2,000-year church age, which is amazing to me. That It was like he saw up to the Messiah coming and dying and all of that. It was like if you're watching a video and you push pause, and then there's the 2,000-year church, period. And then once you know we're, the remnant bride is caught up, and then the focus turns back on Israel... When the Antichrist, when, they, when Israel, the Knesset, and them signed some kind of a peace treaty with the Antichrist, it's like you push unpause, and it picks right back up in that last seven years, the 70th week of Daniel, and that is the feet, the toes of iron and clay, and that's the revised Rome. And that's, you know, you see the ten toes, but you also see the beast with seven heads and ten horns. The horns and the toes are the same thing. So Daniel saw this, and it complements, well, really, the, I should say it this way. The book of Revelation complements the writings of Daniel. But to really understand Revelation, you've got to understand Daniel. And you also have to understand this. Remember, I talked about different things to help properly read and study the Bible. But there's this, these terms that you would learn if you went to Bible school called eisegete or exegete. And let me explain what that means. The way I always remembered it was eisegete is like the way I see it or I read into it. See, that's what a lot of people do. They want the Bible to say something, so they read into it what they want it to say. You can't do that. That's how all these pet doctrines and traditions of men have developed. That's exactly how they happen. They don't like something, and so they, read, they find a way to read into it what they want it to say. And here's what they do. They get out their tweezers. And they'll go in and they'll pick this little scripture over here and they'll twist it and put it here and then they'll take this out of context over here and they'll manipulate it to say what they want it to say. You can't do that. So exegete means like an exit. Like what is the Bible actually saying in context? It's very important that we read the Bible in context of what it's actually saying. You see, read the whole passage. What is, what is coming out of that page into you? What, what is it actually saying? Don't try to read into it. Just get what it's saying. And I'll tell you, if you're a real religious person, there may be some things that you don't like at first because you don't like tongues. You don't like healing. You don't like this. You don't like that. Whatever it is, I want my life to line up with the word and I want to embrace the entire word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Amen. All right. So that's something I would say. And also, as we go through this, I'm going to say one more thing and then I'm going to just dive into reading a lot tonight in the word of God with you. But another thing I would say is this. 
is that we've got to understand that God has certain scriptures that were written for the nation of Israel, not the church, okay? They were written specifically and clearly for Israel, okay? And then you have other scriptures that are specifically and clearly written to the church. And what some people do, the reason why some people don't understand the rapture, I'm not going to get into it tonight so much. I will over the next couple lessons, but the rapture is revealed as a mystery. How many of you guys remember reading Paul's writings? And Paul says, behold, I reveal to you a mystery. That's why many people don't understand certain things is because it is a, it is a mystery. But here's, see, what some people do is they focus so much on what's written to Israel that they see the Lord coming in his glorious appearing to Israel, which will happen. And they focus on that so they don't believe that there is a rapture. But see, that promise is going to be fulfilled. The Lord is going to come all eyes will see him like lightning flashing he's going to come his feet are going to touch the mount of olives he's going to go into israel and he's going to sit on the throne of his father david and reign for a thousand years out of israel that will happen but before that and here's what some other people do some other people don't believe that god has any more promises to israel so all that's written to israel they try to make it like an allegory that speaks to the church and so they, they misinterpret things. They may believe in the rapture, but they don't understand God's purposes for that land. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a balance where you understand what God is saying in regards to the nation of Israel, but also you understand what he's saying in regards to the church. They're two different things with different promises. How many knows that secular Israel isn't going to make the rapture? Hello? So you got to understand there's, there's two different, and that's where people get confused, right there, because they're not properly interpreting what God is saying to this people group, rather what he's saying to this people group over here. Two completely different things. So with that said, I'm going to do my best tonight to, to kind of shed some light on that and help you understand some things. So as we get into it, You'll want to follow along. For those that read with me, a lot of these will be in the NASB, the New American Standard. Also, when I get into Daniel, I'll read out the Amplified Classic, which I really recommend when you're reading Daniel, Revelation, the Prophets, the Psalms, some of those type of writings like Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc. I really recommend you use the Amplified Classic and read it because it helps you to understand it better, okay? And you'll see that as we go through the writings of Daniel tonight. But I wanted to start with this. It's something I've preached a lot on in River of Life. And so you guys bear with me because you may have heard some of this before at the beginning, before I get into Revelation 4. But I'm sharing it because there are people that are listening to this that have maybe never heard this, okay? And so I'm going to read Matthew chapter 25. But before I do that, I want to share quickly about the ancient Jewish wedding during Jesus' day. And so this is very important because you'll understand Matthew 25. If you don't understand the customs of that day, sometimes it's hard to understand certain things, okay? 
So Matthew 25, before I get to it, here's what was going on. So at that time, when there was a phrase, the virgins, it was talking about un unmarried young women, okay? And so the chore of the young ladies, the virgins of that time, many times was to go to the well and draw water for the family and water like the animals, etc., and bring water to uh, the family for cooking meals and all that. So if a young man was really interested in taking a bride, he could go out to the well area and kind of scope it out, <laughs> okay? So that was what was going on. And if he saw a young lady there that caught his attention, he would go to her father, and he would say, I'm interested in your daughter to have her in marriage. And so they would begin to talk, and the father would barter with him and say, okay, well, what type of a dowry can you give me? And he would say, well, I've got so many camel, sheep, whatever, and I've got so many belongings, so much silver, you know, and you know how it is. And so the dad would say, well, you can do better than that. You know, I fed her all these years. You can give me an extra camel. So they'd work it out, whatever. And so the dowry was paid to the father, and the father would accept that, and they would be written up what's called a ketubah, and it was um, a marriage certificate basically promising that he would take care of her. But she had to agree to it. And so she would be asked to come to the house and he would be there. And the father would say, listen, he's asked for your hand in marriage. I've approved it. He's, we've worked out the dowry. We've worked out the ketubah. Are you in agreement with this? And they would set a cup on the table with the fruit of the vine in it. And if she was willing to marry him, and you know in those days just like today but probably even more so in those days young ladies were really flattered that somebody would want to marry them so i mean she was like yes she would drink the fruit of the vine i want you to think about this for a moment jesus gave us the communion table and he said do this as often as you desire until i come looking for his coming so i think that there's something prophetic about that cup that she drank that betrothal cup in our communion cup you see what i'm saying but anyway she would drink the fruit of the vine and set it down when she did she agreed and so the father you know would you know smack him on the back whatever say it's a done deal and so the lady the lady would go and she would begin to wear it now this was important she would begin to wear a veil on her face so when she was still going out doing her chores but when another young man came to scope everybody out he would see, well, she has a veil on, and that one over there has a veil on. What was that saying? That was saying that they're spoken for, they're taken. It was like an engagement ring. And so this young man, though, would leave out excited because he was going now to his father's house to prepare a place for her. Does that sound familiar? Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And so he could be gone up to two years. And what he was doing at his father's house was he was creating a bridal chamber because he was going to go eventually as a thief in the night to snatch her away. They would get under a chopa and they would be married and there would be the bridal chamber where they would consummate their marriage and you know, he would spend time with her for a while. Under Jewish law, they had a year where they were off work and they weren't allowed to be in the military or anything just to spend time together. But anyway... So he was going to his father's house to build a bridal chamber. He's out there with the hammer and the nails. He's working away. 
getting it ready. Now, what she's doing back at her house is she's continuing to do her chores during the day, but she has to be ready when he's going to come because he could come at any day. She does not know the day nor the hour. He could come at the second, third watch of the night. You know what I'm saying? She doesn't know when he's going to come. So at night, what she would do is she would always have her lamp. She would make sure the wick was trimmed and there was a fresh wick or whatever. There was oil in the lamp. She would have it lit and ready, but she would also have extra oil there because he could come, like I said, the second or third watch at night, her lamp would go out. And she needed to be ready when he's to come. So every night, she would be looking for his coming. There was an anticipation about it. She had to keep herself. She kept the veil on during the day. She kept herself pure. She wanted to be ready. She was waiting for him to come. Well, eventually, no man knows the day nor the hour, but the father, right? So back where the young man is, this was the way the custom was. His dad would tell him when it was time to go. His dad would come out there and kind of look at things, and he wanted his son to get his affairs in order and get everything ready, but also to build the bridal chamber the way it needs to be and all that. Whenever that father felt, the father of the groom felt that it was time, he would go in and say to his son, it's time, go get your bride. And the custom was to go steal him away like a thief in the night. So the friend of the bridegroom, the friends that would come, they would go in the night. And one of the friends would be blasting a shofar, and the others would be yelling, behold, the bridegroom comes. And people knew the custom, so they would hear people, you know, in the night, here they are getting kind of woke up, and they're hearing the shofar blast, and they're hearing, behold, the bridegroom comes. And everybody's kind of rejoicing and dancing and clapping and singing. And they realize there's a marriage processional going on. There's, gonna, there's about to be a wedding, and, and they would be excited for the bridegroom, you know. And so here he was, he would go, and the fathers at that time many times would have a young virgin bride on the second story area and he would put the ladder up he'd climb up there and he would snatch her out the window now i want you to keep that in mind because we're going to read here in a moment out of revelation chapter four he says i saw a door standing open and a voice saying come up through that so there is a snatching away but anyway he would get his bride snatch her out the window kind of like an eloping right and take her off the friends would be rejoicing and singing clapping shofars are blasting and he would take her to a place that was prepared for her like i said i hope there would be a wedding and then there would be a bridal chamber where they would consummate their marriage etc so and also the wedding a jewish wedding took place for seven full days which is prophetic so keep that in mind when i read to you matthew 25 because once you understand the ancient Jewish wedding, you, this will make sense. So Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, Jesus is teaching and he says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Does all that make sense now? Right there. See, they were all virgins. It didn't say there were five virgins, five harlots. These were all five virgins all five were god's people so to speak okay and they were supposed to be ready to meet the bridegroom 
Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For the foolish, they took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. There was no, none of that extra oil. And it says that the foolish took their lamps, there was no oil, but the wise took oil and flask along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to fall asleep. Now, remember in the Bible that sleeping has to do with prayerlessness. Remember, I've taught that here. And being a watchman, being awake at night had to do with praying, okay? So they got, they got tired and they got out of prayer, symbolically. But at midnight, there was a shout, behold, the bridegroom comes, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Now, what does the oil speak of in the Bible, guys? The Holy Spirit, the anointing. See, in these latter days, the Bible says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So there is this extra oil that is being poured out. But see, there are foolish virgins out there, foolish God's people who don't realize what's going on. They're not getting in on the extra oil. They'll look at something and say that a revival is actually of the devil. They don't know the difference between the Holy Spirit and a demon. They're the foolish virgins, you see. And they're not going to have the extra oil when the bridegroom comes. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. All our lamps are going out. But the wise said, no, there won't be enough for us and you too. Instead, you go to the dealers and buy oil for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came and those who were ready, everybody say ready. Those who were ready. What does Revelation say? There's a bride that makes herself ready. Those that were ready, okay, went in with him to where? The wedding feast. See, Jesus, the Bible says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. Now, this is important because there's been some teaching that isn't real accurate, but, you know, it's okay. So, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. He's not going to build mansions they're already made. He's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's talking about a wedding feast. Y'all see that? There's going to be a marriage there's going to be a wedding. The bridegroom and the bride, there's going to be a wedding feast that is coming, okay? And so the wise virgins went into the wedding feast. They went into that um, bridal chamber, if you will, and the door was shut. I suspect, do you remember me teaching on an open heaven? An open heaven is a very personal thing. Remember Jesus told John, or Nathaniel rather, he said, you saw me, or rather Jesus said, I saw you, Nathaniel, when you were under the tree. And Nathaniel was amazed, said, wow, you saw me. You know, but Jesus said, you think that's impressive? He said, look, you're going to see the heavens open over the Son of Man. Where? Over who? Over him. It was a personal thing. He didn't say you're going to see the heavens open over all of Israel. He said, you're going to see the heavens open over me and angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So an open heaven is a personal thing. And in Deuteronomy, you know, when people were living in obedience to the Lord, he said, I'll open the heavens, send rain on your land and season, bless your works of your hands, etc." 
There's an open heaven, but it's personal. There can be one church that has an open heaven over that church and another church literally a block away that the heavens are brass. You hear what I'm saying? There can be one Christian that has an open heaven over their life and another Christian that doesn't obey the Bible, doesn't live right, and the heavens are brass over them. I suspect that that open heaven is going to have to do with the rapture of being caught away through that open heaven. But anyway, it says that they went in, the wise virgins were ready, and they went into the marriage, they went into the wedding feast, and the door, look at this, the door was shut. See, when Jesus came to get his bride, the, the flung open, some kind of a door in heaven opened, and there was a, he came down to meet him in the air, there was a pulling away, a snatching away in the night, like a thief in the night, a snatching away of his remnant bride, but then when that opportunity was over, the door shut. And the other virgins came and they said, Lord, Lord, open it up for us. And he answered, truly, I do not know you. And then he says in verse 13, be on your alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. And that phrase always has to do with the Lord's coming. He always says that. Be on your alert. Stay watchful. What does that mean? Be in prayer. To be on your alert to be a watchful person, it's speaking of being a prayerful person. He's saying, be ready because you don't know the day, you don't know the exact hour. I'm coming like a thief in the night. All right. And I'll deal with other scriptures in Thessalonians and Corinthians that deal with this in another, another teaching. I kind of have to stay with this tonight. So you see, what sticks out to me in that is that there were 10 virgins, but only half of them were ready. I would say today in America right now should the Lord come not even half are ready but I believe because of the revival that's coming it will get half of them ready but I don't believe at all studying the word that everybody's going to be ready for the coming of the Lord at all I don't believe that I believe the Bible says the opposite but the Lord always has a remnant all right, then we read, now let's move over to Revelation chapter 4, so I'm at verse 1. Again, I'm going to do a lot of reading out of the Word, so those that are following along, try to get a Bible and follow along. I'm in Revelation chapter 4 tonight. I'm going to read a lot of Scripture and just explain it as I go. So you'll want to take notes, okay? Revelation chapter 4, starting with verse 1. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and a voice which I heard like a sound of a shofar, a trumpet, speaking, said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after these things. Isn't it interesting that you guys know enough of the Bible to know in Thessalonians and Corinthians, what do you see? A loud voice, the blast of the shofar, and the catching away. Again, you're seeing that same thing here. Behold, an open heaven, the door open. He said, I heard a loud voice, the sound of a shofar, come up here. And they were, there was a snatching away, and immediately he says, I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and the one sitting on the throne. And he was sitting, he who was sitting was like uh, a jasper stone and sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones, 
And upon those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments, golden crowns upon their heads. This could be a figurative number, but 12 has to do with the government in the Bible. 12 is government. So Old Testament government, New Testament government, like the 12 apostles, you know, but it could be a figurative number, meaning all those that were overcomers and that could sit upon thrones. Do you remember reading that to the church, I believe in Philadelphia, if I'm not mistaken? It says, to him who overcomes, or Laodicea, to him who overcomes, I'll give you the right to sit on a throne with me. So we don't know, is 24 literal or is it a figurative number? But just know that 12 and 12 has to do with government and that's what it's speaking of all right verse 5 out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds of thunder and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne that's the menorah in heaven did you know that the bible makes it very clear in the book of hebrews that moses built a tabernacle based on what was shown him in heaven the angels gave it to him, but he replicated on the earth what was in heaven. So here you're seeing the menorah right there. Isn't that awesome? And then it says, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. You know what that is? You guys are familiar enough with the tabernacle. Do you remember reading about the laver, the bronze laver? where the priests would have to wash their hands and feet before they went in. This is the laver. Okay, but in heaven, the waters are so still, so peaceful, there's no ripples in it. It's like a sea of glass. And in the center, well, let me go back here. In the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion and the second like a calf, and the third had the face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings full of eyes around them, day and night they did not cease, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, Isaiah kind of saw that, didn't he? In the book of Isaiah, we sing that song, I See the Lord. But this was a glimpse into heaven, and these were probably the, in English, cherubim, in Hebrew, the cherubim. But anyway, the cherub, here's something interesting, and I'm going to move off, I'm not going to dwell. But these four living creatures, if you read it in other scriptures, they seem to be around God's throne. And some scholars believe, do you remember in Ezekiel where they saw like a portable throne moving? But anyway, they, some scholars wonder if the, the cherubim don't like interlock somehow to create a throne of God because look at the Ark of the Covenant which was a picture of God's throne and it had two cherubim there but also the cherubim are like guardians of God's holiness you notice how the what was called the parquet the the veil that separated the holy place and the holy of holies what did that veil have in it cherubim that blocked the way. Do you remember whenever Adam and Eve were expelled out of the garden, they couldn't eat the tree of life? What did God put there? A cherubim, a cherub with a flaming sword to keep them. So there's something about these particular angels that have to do with God's throne. They're around his throne. They possibly at times even make up a throne, a portable throne, and they guard God's holiness. Like, for example, whenever Israel camped in the wilderness, 
they had to camp a certain way. There were three that camped to the uh, north and the south and the west, but in the east area, right at the entryway of the tabernacle, Moses and the priest and the Levites camped there. Why? Because they were to guard. They couldn't just let common people go wandering into the tabernacle. They were guardians. Does that make sense? So the, the cherubim are like guardians of God's holiness and his glory and his beauty and his majesty. They're guardians. But also, here's the interesting thing about the cherub in Hebrew. The Bible says in Ezekiel that Lucifer was an anointed cherub that covered the throne of God. So this class of angels, this class, this type of angel is what Lucifer is. And that's why the Bible says he walked among the fiery stones right there at God's throne. And some Bible scholars, this is just speculation, but you know that he, there was four living creatures and Lucifer was like the fifth one. You see what I'm saying? And apparently, according to Ezekiel, if you read it, he was made with tablets and pipes in him to lead worship. Apparently, he was the anointed cherub that covered that he was lifted up maybe like the back of the throne, so to speak, up over, and he would lead worship to God. But at some point in time, he got lifted up with pride, and that led to his rebellion and downfall, and that left now that there's only four of these living creatures. There was a fifth, but he's a fallen cherub. So this is a scene in heaven. You already see the tabernacle. You see God's throne like the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle speaks of the throne. And you see just like the Ark had the, the cherubim on the sides of it, you see the four living creatures around the throne. And when the living creatures, verse 9, give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of you they, uh, they will exist, and they were created. That's an awesome scene, isn't it? So we go from being in, you know, Revelation 2 and 3, we go from God dealing with the church on the earth, now all of a sudden it's a suddenly. There's a void, there's something opens, there's a loud voice, there's a shofar blast, and there's a snatching away. And now, we have a glimpse of heaven. We see the throne. It's like the remnant bride, just like the wise virgins are snatched away. All right, so that's Revelation chapter 4. But let me talk a little bit more about some of these things. Now, understand that when Jesus is talking in Matthew 24, we're going to go there. I'm going to read this out of the NASB. Jesus gives like a confidential teaching. This wasn't to the masses. You remember Jesus would sit sometimes and talk to thousands of people. But in this case, Jesus has like a confidential conversation, like a briefing to just his disciples that were there about the end times now understand this is actually extremely important that people get this because this is where some confusion comes in jesus's ministry was to israel his ministry he was sent 
to the lost sheep of Israel. I don't have time to get into all these different scriptures about it. I, I probably will over the next couple of weeks. But when Jesus is speaking here, he's speaking to Israel. So keep that in mind, okay? Now, obviously, to us as believers, believers are engrafted in, which I'll talk about that. But this is to Israel, and it's about the latter days. And, but, of course, we glean from it as well. So this is what Jesus said. They come to him and they say, Now, Jesus, tell us about these end times because Jesus says, Look, not one stone will be left on the other. Right here. Let's start with verse 1. Jesus came out of the temple, and going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him, Jesus said, Do you not see that the, these things, truly I tell you, that not one stone will be left on another which will not be torn down? The temple was a magnific magnificent temple. It was huge. Ezra originally oversaw its building, but Herod came in and added to it. It was elaborate. It was beautiful. But in 70 AD, in a nutshell, let me tell you this. Jesus' ministry, three and a half years, around um, AD 30, I realize it was a little bit after that, 32, Jesus you know, dies, raises from the dead. But his ministry begins right around close to AD 30. And if you add 40 to that, 40 is the number of testing, Right? God gave Israel 40 years of testing where Jesus' ministry was during the first part of that, but he died, raised from the dead. He appeared to like 500 people. He, the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. People went all through Israel preaching. He gave them 40 years, but they didn't repent. They didn't accept the Messiah. So the Lord allowed Titus to come in. The Roman legions came in and they massacred many of the Jews, burned, you know, parts of Jerusalem. And they go to the temple and they had heard that there was gold in the mortar of the stones. So they took pack mules and literally tied ropes to stones to pull every stone off the other to see if they could find gold, fulfilling Jesus's prophecy to the letter that not one stone would be left on the other. Verse 3. As Je so they ask him, you know, as Jesus was sitting there on the Mount of Olives, which is interesting because the Mount of Olives is where he floated up into heaven, and the Bible says he's going to come back down and put his feet there, and it's going to split in two. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to him, uh, said to them, See that no one misleads you or, in the Greek, deceives you. Let's just stop there for a moment. In the last days, there's going to be great deception, and there already is deception right now, and it's very thick. Jesus, the very first thing Jesus says is, be careful that you're not deceived in the latter days. Where he said, many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and mislead many. That could be translated this way. You ready? Many people will come saying, in fact, yes, Jesus is the Christ, but they will still deceive many. That's how that could be read. Did y'all catch that? You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened. Does that sound familiar? For those things must take place, but, the yet, but that is not yet the end. Nation will rise against nation. In the Greek, that's ethnic group, 
against ethnic group, great racism. Does that sound familiar? And kingdom against kingdom. That's, of course, wars against nations. And in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. Let me tell you, this is a secular study. You can look this up for yourself on the Internet and see that over the last hundred years, there have been an increase in earthquakes. Um, there's more of them more frequently, and some of them are getting more violent. There's an increase in earthquakes. You know what that is? That's a sign of the soon coming of the Lord. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs, just like a woman that's going to go into labor. She begins to have the contractions. There's pain. That's what's happening, okay? And he says in verse 9, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and kill you. You'll be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. So we're seeing these things. I believe we're already beginning to see these things. There are people, listen, in America, because of our laws, we're protected from certain things up to a point. But in other nations, Christians over the last while have been very persecuted. They've been captured. They've been tortured. They've been imprisoned. They've been killed. And they've been hated for the Lord's name. And there are many today, Thessalonians talks about before the Lord comes, there would be a great falling away of the faith. He said at that time, many will fall away. In Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 1, Paul said that there would be a time when people would fall away. They would abandon the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Again, you see here, a sign of the end times is that there are people that are falling away from the faith. It's happening, guys. It's happening right now. And they will betray one another and hate one another. And let me just tell you, the time that we're living in is perilous. It's difficult. In uh, Timothy, Paul wrote, 1 Timothy chapter 3, he said, perilous times will come. Perilous means fierce, just like an animal, like a wolf. You wander off in the woods, and all of a sudden you stumble upon this wolf and its hairs up, and it's growling, and it's glaring at you. It's a fierce animal. And the Bible says in the latter days, there would be fierce times. And we're starting to move into those fierce times. There's people falling away, but the betraying of one another, the hatred of one another. We're going to have to guard our hearts that even though you're betrayed, because I've been betrayed a couple of times significantly, even though you're betrayed by people, that you're going to forgive people, don't let your heart get filled with hatred. It's a sign of the end times that there would be a lot of betraying and there would be a lot of hate in people's hearts. And you see that. I mean, there's people that have a lot of anger issues out there right now. You can't even drive down the road. You can't even go to Walmart anymore without somebody getting overly angry about the littlest things. It's a sign of these times right here that people's hearts would be full of hate and anger and bitterness. And he said, many false prophets will arise and mislead many. We're seeing that today. In verse 12, because lawlessness increases, most people's love will grow cold. We're seeing lawlessness like no other time here in America. You know what's happening on the streets with these riots and things? You know what that is? Lawlessness. They hate the police. 
You know what that is? That's a spirit of lawlessness. It's a sign of these times, and those that are involved in it are on the wrong side of the fence, guys. But the one, what Jesus says, verse 13, but the one who endures till the end will be saved. In verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations. Then the end will come. You know what's amazing? We've had all these years, yet still there's many that have not heard the gospel. It's getting there, though. We're, we're seeing it in these latter days. We're seeing uh, the gospel get to places it's never been. And then Jesus says this. This is where it shifts to specifically speak to the Jewish people, okay? Verse 15, he says, Therefore, when you see, who's he talking to here? He's talking to Israel. He's talking to the Jewish people. He's on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem talking to his Jewish disciples, okay? He's speaking to those people. And he's saying, guys, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea, you must flee to the mountains. Whoever's on the housetop must not go down in to get what you need. You better take off running. So this is what he's saying here. This is, sounds complicated to, to one who doesn't know what this is. But see, the Antichrist is going to make a peace treaty with Israel, not the church. He's going to make a peace treaty with the nation, the secular nation of Israel, with the Knesset. And when that peace treaty is signed for seven years, things are going to look good for Israel for about three and a half years. And then the Antichrist is going to turn on them. I'm oversimplifying things right now because we'll deal with the first three and a half years of the tribulation later. But halfway through that tribulation, the Antichrist is going to go into the temple. He's going to set up some kind of an idol. He's going to sit down as though he's God Almighty. And he's going to demand that Israel worship him as God and worship his image. And Israel is not going to do it. But you know what that is? That's an abomination. And Israel's not going to do it. And because they refuse to worship him as God, which is an abomination, the Antichrist is going to release his military against Israel to slaughter all those who refuse to do it. And that's desolation. Widespread desolation in Israel. You see, the Holocaust under Hitler killed one-third of the Jews, but the Antichrist will kill two-thirds. The only reason a third even survive is because God supernaturally protects them, which will be later on in Revelation. But anyway, you see that once Revelation 4 takes place, the remnant bride is caught away. The focus gets back on the nation of Israel here. That's the last week of the 70th, the 70th week of Daniel. That's going on. That's what the tribulation is about. It's about the nation of Israel. It's not about the church anymore. And Jesus says, you watch out because when that abomination that causes desolation is spoken, he said, you must flee to the mountains. Whoever's on the housetop, don't go back in to get things. Whoever's in the field, don't turn back. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babes in those days and pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Who's he talking to here? Israel. 
For there will be great tribulation. The last three and a half years of the tribulation are called the great tribulation, you see. The last three and a half years, the word, he said, such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Those last three and a half years, Jesus Christ describes the last three and a half years of the tribulation this way. He says, it will be great tribulation, such has not occurred since the beginning of the world till now. Nor ever will. Unless those days were cut short, no life would be saved, but for the sake of the elect. Those days will be cut short. Who are the elect? The third of the Jews that are protected supernaturally. And also, listen, there was a time when there was just horses and, and, and you know, swords. But now in these latter days, what do we have? Nuclear weapons. This type of statement here where he says, unless those days were cut short, no flesh would survive is a very real threat, isn't it? Because somebody, if they push the button, then other people are going to start pushing their buttons. The next thing you know, there's nuclear holocaust. So this is what Jesus says about these latter days. And what it means here, it says, those that are on the housetop don't go down to get anything. In Israel, most of the houses will have like a rest. You go up on the roof and sit there in lounge chairs to relax and fellowship and socialize. That's what it's saying. He's saying that's where people kind of like a patio. He said, don't go back in and get anything. Take off to the mountain. All right, um, and also it goes on to say in verse 23, and if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. That is a direct reference to the false prophet and the Antichrist. And I'm sure that there are others too. There's going to be other false prophets. There's going to be other false Christs, but specifically there's going to be a false prophet and an antichrist, okay? And he said that when these emerge, he said, don't believe, the, don't believe them. And listen to what Jesus says, though, in another place. He said, you did not accept me when I came in my name, but you will accept another when he comes in his name. In the Greek, that where it says you will accept another implies another Jew. He's speaking of the Antichrist. He's saying, you didn't accept me as the Messiah when I came, but there'll be another that will come to you one day, and him you will accept. With him, you will sign a peace treaty. In verse 25, behold, I've told you this in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out, or he's in an inner room, do not believe them. And listen, this is a reference. Who's Jesus speaking to here? Israel and so he says in verse 27 just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west so will the coming of the son of man be wherever a corpse is there the vultures will gather in verse 29 but immediately after the tribulation of those days so there's this seven-year tribulation at the end of it he says, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. I wonder what that's going to look like where the heavens are shaken. Wow. And he says, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with great power and glory, and he will send forth his angels 
with a great trumpet their shofar and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from the end of the sky to the other there's going to be a remnant in the earth his elect there may be some christians that survived him but there's definitely a third of the jews that were that were supernaturally protected and the lord is going to send his angels to go gather them unto him in the parable of the fig tree the fig tree is israel understand that and so verse 32 now learn the parable of the fig tree in other words keep your eye on the nation of israel in time prophecy listen to what i'm saying watch the nation of israel in regards to end time prophecy we've seen 1948 we've seen israel become a nation in 1967 they took jerusalem and there's going to be a temple that's going to be rebuilt these are signs of the near coming of the messiah all right it says learn the parable of the fig tree in other words watch israel when its branch becomes tender and puts forth leaves you know that summer's near so you too when you see all these things that i just talked about when you see them recognize that he is near right at the door truly i say to you this generation will not pass away now jesus is saying here that when these things start unfolding in rapid succession when these things start happening he's saying the generation that sees these things unfolding he said that generation will not pass away until they see all this come to pass heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away did y'all catch that the generation that sees these things happening will not pass away until they take place i wonder if we're not that generation because we're starting to see all these things verse 36 but of that day and hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven nor the son but the father alone remember the parable i told you about the ancient jewish weddings even the bridegroom didn't know it was up to his father when his father said son go get your bride so nobody knows but the father in verse 37 for the coming of the son of man will be just like the days of noah for as in those days before the flood they were eating they were drinking they were marrying they were being given in marriage until the day noah entered his ark and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away let me tell you we're living in those days people are just just like noah you know people are trying to tell others you need to repent you need to get saved you need to get right with god and they're just going on like nothing's wrong all these things all these signs the bible talked about they're literally happening and unfolding and the world is so oblivious to it just like what jesus said they would be they're just eating and drinking and carrying on with life like nothing's going on and they did not understand until the flood came they're not going many of them won't understand until they're swept away sadly in verse 40 and there will be and he gave an example there'll be two men in a field one taken another left two women will be grinding at the mill one taken another left and i believe that's a reference to the rapture right there in verse 42 therefore be on the alert for you do not know the day the lord is coming but be sure of this that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming he would not have he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into for this reason you must also be ready for the son of man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will 
Who then is a faithful and wise slave whom the master will put in charge of his household to give him food at the proper time? And this is a warning to pastors and leaders. Who's going to be faithful and wise who the master can put in charge of his people to give them the food at the proper time? Listen, pastors and leaders and teachers, you better be giving people the right food at the right time and quit giving them motivational speeches in these last days. You better feed the sheep because you're going to be judged for it. Verse 46, blessed is the slave whom his master finds doing so when he comes. I want when the Lord comes that I was faithful to tell it like it was and preach what God gave me to preach all the way till the end. I wasn't here to people please. I was here just to do what God said to do. Verse 47, truly I say to you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if the evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. He begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. Isn't it interesting that we've seen such a rise in alcohol and the Bible specifically references drunkenness in regards to the last days. Anybody else find that interesting? The master of that slave will come on the day he does not expect and an hour he does not know. And he says in verse 51, and the Lord said, and I will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites in the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know what cut into pieces means, and I don't want to find out, and, but I do know what being sent among the hypocrites where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth means. That means he's going to throw you into hell is exactly what that means. So I think that that's a clear warning to pastors and teachers and leaders that you better quit messing around and getting into all this stuff, getting, you know, drunk and, and, and being abusive and all this stuff, you better uh, live the life and preach the truth until the Lord comes because when he comes, woe to those. Um, anyway, I think that's, that Jesus said it pretty clear here. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that's cut and dry. All right, so that's Jesus' teaching about the end time. He's speaking to the nation of Israel, but of course we can see as Christians and we know the whole word of God, we can glean from that what he's saying about these latter days, but specifically he was speaking to Israel. And I'll deal more with this as I go, but you know, the important thing to understand is this. There are scriptures that specifically have to do with Israel and others that specifically have to do with the church. Okay, keep that in mind. All right, now Daniel, we're going to look at Daniel 7 through 9. I'm going to read quite a bit of it and just explain it as I go. Again, tonight is just going through the Bible. Is this okay with you guys? Just reading the word, going through it. Just after these three or four chapters, that'll be it. That's all I'm going to cover tonight. Just kind of laying some groundwork. But you're not going to fully understand Revelation unless you understand Daniel. And you're not going to understand Revelation unless you understand the prophecies that Jesus Christ gave, that Peter and Paul gave. Um, there's so many things that you have to draw from the different parts of the Bible. You need to understand the tabernacle. All right. So you guys remember the picture I showed you at the beginning about the various beasts and the statue, right? All right. So Daniel, the prophet Daniel, was an amazing man. He was taken into Babylonian captivity as a young man. So Nebuchadnezzar comes in, 
they take the Jews out. Daniel was very young, like a teenager, when he was taken into Babylonian captivity. But Daniel, along with um, Shabbat, Meshach, and Abednego, and others, were seen to be intelligent, and they brought him in, and they took him into the courts, and they began to be educated there in Babylon. But Daniel had great favor. And Daniel was known as a wise man. And so what that meant is this. It's really interesting is that in these pagan cultures they they all had this they had some kind of a priesthood and among these priesthood would be people that kind of practiced the dark arts they studied the stars etc and in egypt you saw this with moses he kind of confronted the sorcerers the wise men of egypt and it was believed among the jews that that um, one of those men that had great clout and favor with the pharaoh was none other than Balaam. Remember him? They tried to curse Israel. In fact, it was his sons were Janus and Jambres that Paul referenced that were among the sorcerers there in Egypt. But Egypt and each one of these kingdoms had like wise men. They, they viewed them as those that could interpret dreams, that could interpret omens, that knew how to, to practice the dark arts. They knew how to read the, the zodiac and the signs, etc., well, Daniel was pulled out from among the Jews and he was seen as a wise man because the Holy Spirit was at work in his life. And so he was put among them. And when Daniel was able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he became like one of the great wise men, which I'm sure stirred up a lot of jealousy because many of these other wise men, it was very family-oriented, very... Um, generational and here comes this guy floating in here from israel and he's kind of over them and but anyway daniel was so powerful and influential that he was through a succession of kings y'all y'all read this it's amazing is i mean he he lived through these succession of kings um on into it was uh it was actually nebuchadnezzar's grandson remember that hand appeared and wrote on the wall and Daniel interpreted it, and basically, I'm paraphrasing this, but he's like, well, you're a dead man. And then that was, you know, it was over after that. And Persia comes in, and Daniel still had favor. But here's the interesting thing. I, I personally believe this. Do you remember that it was wise men from the east that knew that there was a Messiah that was going to come? And they discerned that star and they traveled from the east to see Jesus. You remember that? I personally believe, this is my personal opinion, that Daniel had like a remnant of people he had influence with among the wise men of the east. And he took his writings that he got from Gabriel, which we're about to read, and it passed down from father to son among these wise men of the east. And they were looking for a coming Messiah. Isn't that something? And all those years later, wise men discerned the times. Even though Israel didn't, which I'm going to show you the 69 weeks, they were looking for a Messiah at this time. But it's unbelievable that Daniel literally gave them 490 years and so many days, etc. It was so specific, and yet they missed it. But wise men of the East that Daniel had influenced down through the ages, they actually came and, and believed in the Messiah. Yet the Jewish leaders missed it 
even though Daniel's specific, you'll see at the end of this how specific it was about the Lord's coming. But let's start reading. So we're starting with chapter 7. I'm going to read out the Amplified Classic because I believe it really does a good job here. All right. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions in the head as he was lying on his bed. And he wrote down the dream and told the gist of the matter. And Daniel said, I saw in my vision by night, behold, four winds of the heavens start, were stirring up the great sea. And the sea speaks of the nations of the world, the sea of humanity, okay? So the four winds were stirring it up. And four great beasts came up out of the sea. And in dip, one different from the other, the first, which was the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar, was like a lion with eagle's wings. And I looked till the wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon two feet as a man, and a man's heart given to it. Do you remember that story in Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar was humbled and he became like a beast of the field? Remember that? And his nails grew out and he grew something weird like feathers? I mean, it was bad. I mean, God knows how to humble a man. Amen? God humbled this man. He was, he was out like some kind of a weird beast of the field for a time. And, but then at the end of it, he came to his senses and he acknowledged that God was... I personally believe because of all that that we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. I believe that he got right with God through that. But it says he stood up as a man and a heart was given to him. He had a heart for God after that. In verse 5, And behold, after Babylon, another beast, a second one. This was the Medo-Persian Empire, and it was like a bear raised up itself on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told devour much flesh. The bear is the Medo-Persian Empire. The one side, the Persians were greater than the Medes. The three ribs was Egypt, Babylon, and Lydia. They conquered and they became the world's leading empire, okay? So then after that, I looked and behold, another came, the Grecian Empire. This is Alexander the Great, like a leopard. He had four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast also had four heads. Alexander's generals, there were four generals that succeeded him, and that was the four heads. Dominion was given to him. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, the fourth beast, the Roman Empire, terrible, powerful, and dreadful exceedingly strong it had great iron teeth it's interesting that this beast is not described as a specific animal that we know of you see it had teeth of iron it devoured and crushed and trampled and left uh, what was left with its feet it was different from all the other beasts that came before it and it had 10 horns remember that because you're going to see that in revelation and i considered the horns and behold there came up among them a little horn which was three of the first horns were plucked up by its roots and behold in this horn were eyes like that of a man and spoke great things this is the antichrist so the antichrist will come to power there's going to be 10 kingdoms three will try to buck up against him but he'll defeat them they'll be plucked up before him and let me just finish this i'm thinking about maybe cutting this short tonight and picking this up next week it's a lot of information but in verse 9 and I kept looking until thrones were in place for the assessors with the judge and the ancient of days God the eternal father took his seat whose garments was white as snow and hair like pure wool 
and his throne was like a fiery flame. Its wheels were burning fire, and a stream of fire came forth from before him, and thousands upon thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand rose up and stood before him. The judge was seated, the court was in session, the books were open. I looked, then because the sound of the great words which the horn was speaking, this was the Antichrist, boasting great things. Remember the Antichrist, he's in a nutshell tonight, we'll get into it as we go. There's going to be 10 areas of the world that he's going to oversee, but yet his dominion will be over the whole earth. But there's going to be 10 land masses, 10 nations, and, he's, and he rose up among them. He was the leader of all those nations, like the United Nations, if you will. It's a league of nations that, that are the world superpowers land masses he rules over them and he's boasting great things against the lord to the degree that eventually he goes into israel to set up himself in the temple to be worshiped remember an abomination so he's boasting great things he's talking a big talk he's talking as though he's god almighty and it says the judge was seated and the books were open what's the books prophecies The Ancient of Days begins to read back over prophecies regarding Israel, regarding that a third of the Jews must survive. You hear what I'm saying? Prophecies. He's looking at the books. He's looking at how things are supposed to play out because the Antichrist is trying to change the times and seasons and trying to go against all that. And I looked, and because of the sound of the great words the horn was speaking, I watched until the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And the rest of the beasts, their power and dominion was taken away, yet their lives prolonged for the duration of their lives was fixed for a season and a time. So there's going to come a time when the Ancient of Days takes his seat and passes judgment on behalf of things. And then Daniel sees here in verse 13, I'm going to close with this tonight and we'll pick up on it next week because it's too much information. And it says in verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold on the clouds of the heavens came one like a son of man. How many times did Jesus refer to himself as the son of man? You see, Daniel saw his day. He saw at the end of the tribulation, he saw that this horn, this beast, the Antichrist would be judged and will be thrown in the lake of fire. And he sees the coming of Jesus to Israel. Daniel didn't see the church age, by the way. He said, I saw the clouds of the heavens came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the ancient days and presented himself before him. And there was given him the Messiah, dominion and glory and the kingdom. And all the people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed isn't that awesome and i'll read one more thing and then we'll pick this up next week um in revelation you see daniel to understand revelation you've got to understand daniel i'm just going to read this and then we'll pray revelation chapter 13 verse 1 it says and the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore the dragon is who the devil and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. This is the Antichrist, mind you, okay? The beast coming out of the sea is the Antichrist. What does he have? Ten horns and seven heads. You see that? And on the horns were diadems, crowns, and on the heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which, the beast which I saw looked like, look at this. You remember Daniel? It says a leopard and also the feet of a bear and the mouth like a lion. Does that sound familiar? 
And the dragon gave him power and his throne and great authority. So I'm going to pick up on this next week because I want to go into this a little more in depth. And if I, if I keep reading this, it's probably going to go for another hour. We've had plenty tonight. But did y'all learn something so far? We'll pick up on Daniel 7 through 9 next week. And I'll deal with the 70 weeks, okay? I couldn't get to it tonight. It's just too much. But Lord, we thank you for your word. We bless you. We love your word. And Lord, I pray tonight as, as, as people go home, Lord, let us retain this information. Help us get everything out of this we need to and that we remember it and we apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, if you guys want prayer tonight, we'll pray with people. Listen, this is the, the phrase about the wise virgins with extra oil. As we pray every week for people,